0: Hello, sweet friend. If this is our first time meeting, this is going to be one of those first friend drink dates that you remember because we connected instantly, went deep, then I had to burp, and so obviously we had to start over again. (laughs) You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, sweet friend. If this is our first time meeting, this is going to be one of those first friend drink states where you remember it because we connected instantly, went deep, shared vulnerably, and knew within like 30 minutes we were going to be true friends. Because despite having been in business for... Seven or eight years now, you can listen to my short story of that in episode zero. I've decided this is the right time and place to share some things I've never shared before. Literally, some things maybe 20 people in my life know. I've thought for a lot of years now about when and how would be the right time and place to share. And my intention with this podcast and the videos we're also creating is whichever platform is best for that topic, to speak to the one. And what I mean by that is creating content that's just like the conversations I have with my real best friends. Vulnerable, specific, what they personally need to hear. When one of my best friends tells me the voice note of advice I sent was exactly what they needed to hear, it makes my day. It's one of my favorite signature ways to love people is I send a ton of voice notes. So this podcast is my personal Voice note to you. Not every episode may be what you need to hear in this moment, but I'm trusting that it is for someone. And that one person, you having more hope or joy or wisdom or clarity in your business, beauty, life, will be worth it. And that the episodes that aren't about what you're going through are absolutely what someone else in your life is or will be going through. So you can listen to be a better friend. Sister or brother, daughter, boss, leader, husband. So today, I'm going to share five of the darkest moments in my life. By contrast, I'm at a place in my life where I have never been happier, healthier, or felt more richly blessed. But there's a story that got me here. There were some deep valleys I had to walk through to get to where I am, to have it be this good. So I think it's only authentic to share the full story. And I believe that at least one of these moments, though likely more, will help you to understand and trust what I mean when I say you're welcome here. And while being cheeky yet earnest, I expect you'll feel grateful at the end, whereby I would say you're welcome because this is the level of honest conversation that we do and should deeply appreciate. So here goes. Dark moment number one has to do with my body and my beauty. When I say beauty, I mean whether or not we as women feel beautiful when we look in the mirror, when we walk into a room. Right out of college, I was exceedingly wildly blessed to be cast in the Broadway tour of a show called 42nd Street, and then as a singer with the Radio City Rockettes, who I toured with for the next four years. My first professional career was musical theater, which is to say, getting paid to dance in a gold bikini. And at a size four, I was one of the largest girls in either cast. Before you roll your eyes at my being insecure at a size four, please stay with me because I've learned as a personal stylist that it doesn't matter whether a woman is a size 20 or a two, I've had clients at both, they can have the same level of insecurity. I'd probably had the typical body insecurities throughout high school and college, afraid my stomach wasn't flat, insecure my boobs weren't bigger. I never learned to work out or watch what I ate, and suddenly I was getting off work at 11 o'clock at night. We'd all go back to the hotel, order burgers from room service, and then walk around a new city during the day, mostly eating. I weighed 20 pounds more than I do right now, which at five foot four inches is a lot, especially when what you wear for work and job interviews is a gold bikini or the equivalent thereof. And your colleagues or competition are all much thinner than you. So I remember on 42nd Street, I was terrified they were going to pull me aside and tell me I had to lose weight, which had happened to a girl in the cast and a guy in the cast. So again, if you're still sighing and thinking, is this thin girl seriously complaining about her weight? I want to remind you I literally worried daily about getting fired because I wasn't thin enough. So if you're a larger size, please extend empathy that size can also feel painful even if the size is smaller. It isn't about our number, it's about whether or not we feel confident in our body and our beauty. During Rockettes, I was terrified each year that it would keep me from getting recast. And the year I reauditioned and the director Linda told me I looked skinny, I walked out of the audition with the most confidence that I would be rehired. I hated that I was overweight for my body and for the industry that I was in, and I didn't know what to do to fix it. The I was skinny, by the way, I'd had my appendix out, so that wasn't really a Sustainable diet plan. <laughs> um, I'd tried yoga, working out with a friend, and then I'd have a panic attack because I really wasn't really sweating to burn calories and not try it again. I'd tell myself I shouldn't overeat, and then feel like I couldn't physically stop myself from eating not two but four pieces of pizza or more. There were times I tried to be anorexic. I just couldn't stick with it. I tried to be bulimic, but I couldn't go through with it. I tried that lemon juice and cayenne pepper diet that Gwyneth Paltrow's doctor recommends and only made it a day. So I've never had an eating disorder, but my head and heart have been just as desperate. So one day I walked by a Weight Watchers, went in, got the points guide, and basically learned about portion control. Uh, Translation, two pieces of pizza with a side of steamed vegetables. My favorite, by the way, was a Papa John's by the Slice in Hell's Kitchen, where the delivery guy, Mohammed, who was a veterinarian in Egypt who moved here to make more money for his family as a pizza delivery guy, sadly knew my name. So Weight Watchers was a lifesaver, but it didn't solve all my problems. I was still always self-conscious about my stomach. I lost out on a plum job, a.k.a. it included health insurance, which is a huge deal as an answer, as a hostess at a fancy steakhouse in Rockefeller Center. Because I didn't look look sexy enough, return to the boobs comment earlier, and also picture Alexis Bledel in Gilmore Girls. Not really what they were looking for. However, as I became a personal stylist on the side and then full time, I learned how to dress my body, flatter my shape. And I find that today in that exact same body, I have so much more peace and joy getting dressed in the morning. I probably think about my stomach two days a month instead of every day, multiple times a day. Though I also remember just two years ago, my two male business partners saying that their wives don't wear makeup and the guys love it. And I thought those women sounded so confident, (laughs) which is wild to remember, seeing as now I leave the house without makeup on most days, uh, which is a podcast on skincare for another day. But that was just two years ago. So I share all of this to say, if you've ever struggled with not feeling beautiful, in your body or your weight, I can deeply empathize. There is hope and healing, and I believe I can help. Dark moment number two was my career. These will actually be moments, plural. First, there was the worst job, which was being a cocktail waitress at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. My stomach would be in knots all summer, praying I would book a show and not have to do this job. I wore an extra-large polyester polyester polo shirt, polyester, uh, $18 pants from the Old Navy, slip-resistant shoes, which are like clogs without the holes. It wasn't about vanity that I didn't look cute. It's about the way people see you and treat you when you're dressed like the help. It didn't bother me that I didn't look beautiful or sexy or even cute. It bothered me that I looked uneducated, untalented, unworthy. I carried plates of food into a sweaty, slimy industrial kitchen where I held my breath because it smelled so gross. I ate all my meals on the floor, sitting on cement stairs while people were walking by, stood on my feet for 16 to 18 hours a day, sleeping just a couple hours a night on a futon mattress on the floor of a stranger's apartment that I found on Craigslist for two weeks and was talked down to, sadly, mostly by women, um, wealthy, important women feeling superior in their fancy jobs to a smaller, less successful, less important woman, uh, me, all because at the end, I would make $2,000 in those two weeks, which was so much money to me. As an aside, it was during the last of my five years doing that job that I launched my styling website, DeanStreetSociety.com, as a rallying cry that I would never feel that small again, and I haven't. Also, PSA, pick up your trash when you're leaving a sports arena or a movie theater, please. Just because someone's there to clean it up doesn't mean it isn't rude to assume that they will, and bonus points if you just pick up somebody else's popcorn while you're already going to the trash. So I also hated parties, small talk, meeting new people, because in New York, everyone wants to know what you do. And when you say you're an actor, they say, oh, have I seen you in anything? No, I don't do TV or film. I do theater. Oh, are you in a show right now? (sighs) When I was lucky, which was a lot, I have to be so thankful, I could stretch out doing the Rockettes for most of the year. Oh, I'm going to do the Rockettes this winter. I actually just finished with the Rockettes. The darkest season was the first year I wasn't rehired with the Rockettes. I was dating a guy named Jeremiah, not my current husband of the same name, and I can distinctly remember the shame that I felt meeting his new friends and family and just having to answer no. Basically, nope, I'm not doing anything that will indicate to you whether or not I am talented or completely pathetic and totally delusional. What I remember as the lowest time was... Back during the recession of 2008, when companies stopped throwing parties, thus hiring caterers or bringing in temps when someone was out sick, all of my jobs disappeared. And I had to discover that the cheapest toothpaste where you can save a dollar is on the bottom shelf at the drugstore and had thoughts like trying not to use too much shampoo or toothpaste to make it last longer. Somewhere in here, I claimed on my taxes two different years that I made just $10,000. I'm sure there was some babysitting money and getting paid in cash, that sort of thing in there. But in New York City, I should absolutely have been collecting food stamps. Which is to say, if you struggle with not feeling worthy in your work or around money, I deeply empathize. There is hope. There are new stories for you. And I believe I can help. Dark moment number three was... Well, was my life. <laughs> uh, it started when my younger sister got engaged, and I was so excited because for some bizarre reason, I had a ton of examples of siblings from our church growing up who had gotten married at the same time, and that's what I just kind of always pictured. And I was dating the first guy since my college boyfriend of whom I'd said to my mom, he's the one. You know, they say you just know when you know, and I just know. So the timing was perfect until he broke up with me. This was the first year I didn't get rehired with the Rockettes, so I'd already been floundering in doubt, shame, and insecurity having to spend Christmas catering, and the breakup just put me over the edge into something I'd never experienced before, depression. And to be transparent, what I mean by depression is I started researching and honestly daydreaming about ways to take my life to just be done and avoid all this pain. I remember standing up front as maid of honor as my dad walked my sister down the aisle, just unable to look at them, just trying to look just off to the side over their shoulder to keep from breaking down into distracting sobs over my fear that that's a moment that I might never have with my dad, that what if he's not around by the time I get married? And uh, I actually did just get married um, two months ago. And the moment before he walked me down the aisle was one of my favorite of the whole wedding, not for being so sentimental, but because this huge crowd of strangers had gathered around outside the cathedral to watch. They were like packed into this little street. And he, curious, spontaneously looked back at them over our shoulder, waved, and they all cheered like it was George Clooney. It was amazing. (laughs) But at the time, my sister's wedding didn't just bring up heartbreak over being single. It also shed a harsh light on my life here in New York because right after the wedding, she and my brother-in-law moved here. And life here was hard, but it felt I'd always felt like it was hard because I had chosen to be a creative major in college, chosen to pursue that life, chosen to move to New York City. And suddenly, my sister, who had also chosen to be a creative major— Just had a husband and moved here and made it clear just from her living her own everyday life that the working three jobs, the endless carousel of roommates, the exhaustion and hustling and striving to survive, it wasn't necessarily because I was creative or because of the choices I'd made. It was because I didn't have a ring on my finger from a lawyer. I knew being single was hard, but I'd never blamed the hardness of the rest of my life on it and now it felt like I couldn't ignore it. Life was hard being single, and because I was single, the unfairness of it just felt crippling. And then my sister got pregnant, and I was still single. Now another dream was passing me by. One I didn't even realize until it happened that as the oldest, I'd assumed I'd be the one to make my parents grandparents, just like I'd had the expectation my sister and I would get married at the same time. I didn't even realize these expectations and dreams and assumptions had been there until I was confronted with them. And now there was new fears that my parents won't be here by the time I have kids. And that's a reality that I still can't guarantee. Throughout all of this, my family did not get it, for which I absolutely forgive them now. They had no experience with depression. They still saw me as a dramatic. 14 year old girl and couldn't see me as a mature woman in very valid and understandable deep pain and anguish. And they each had their own stories and experiences during these seasons. But the result of being not only depressed, but feeling shamed, blamed, and rejected for it was very painful and lonely. So, my dear, if you struggle with feeling behind in your dreams, being single, wanting a family, fearing that you're turning X age or your parents are, I deeply empathize. There is hope. There are new stories waiting for you. And I believe I can help. Dark moment number four was about love. He came out of nowhere, (laughs) pursuing me like Noah does Allie in the notebook. He was that kind of guy everyone is obsessed with. He lights up a room. Like Guys want to be him. Girls want to be with him. Kids want to climb all over him. Speaks three languages, well-dressed, went to Harvard, and has a banging body from CrossFit, all while loving Jesus. The first real time we hung out, I remember, was at a dinner, which uh, my friend Sarah, who's married, met him for the first time and said to me, I don't know who that man is, but he is captivating, and I need you to marry him. I fell fast. A few weeks later, I remember my friend Chris said, I've never seen someone pursue a girl like he has you. He just lights up around you. At about six weeks, my best friend said, I just want you to know I see what's happening and I won't be freaked out when you tell me you're engaged. My parents only dated for six weeks. I'm totally supportive. I get it. And then one Saturday, it's like a light switch flipped in his brain. He broke up with me in a five-minute conversation with a smile on his face while I bawled. He didn't really give any discernible explanation and left. And I know now in hindsight that he had some mental health issues, that his brain didn't function normally due to some abuse in his childhood. But I didn't know how to detect that at the time. He told me about the abuse, but I didn't know how deeply that could still affect someone who seems so successful and wise and put together. And I didn't know the questions to ask to understand if he had really dealt with and healed from that. When he broke up with me, I was already on the edge of exhaustion. I was a new entrepreneur. I didn't have the money or the margin to be able to rest for a second. I had products to create and deliver on. I had to keep sprinting to keep myself afloat. And I couldn't even get out of bed. In an instant, a trauma occurred, and I didn't see how I could survive one more day. I had no margin, no bandwidth, no cushion to crash even further and feel like I could survive the blow. And so this time, the suicide thoughts weren't just thoughts. In a fog of 24 hours of not sleeping, not eating, literally counting my way through 30 seconds at a time, 60 seconds at a time, I tried to put them into action. And ultimately, Despite being in a state of acute trauma, I was still too logical and was too afraid I would mess it up and end up just deeply injured, and I called 911 on myself. And what happens when you call 911 for suicidal ideation is I spent a week in the psychiatric ward in a poor hospital deep in Brooklyn, which was the most terrifying and therapeutic week of my life. While I, in essence, counseled and befriended individuals with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, understanding mental health, understanding the plight of the homeless, uh, of those in poor communities in whole new ways. I realize what I just shared is very disturbing, um, and I don't mean to gloss over it or take it lightly, but I'm going to keep telling this story because that actually wasn't the bottom. Because then came dark moment number five about friendship. I'd say within a month of coming home from the hospital, I stopped hearing from my entire circle of friends and haven't heard from them once in the many years since. And because I don't want to belabor this with copious examples, you're going to have to trust me that the reasons around these various friends leaving was weird And I don't say that to be defensive or blaming. The fact that they make no sense is actually a super important part of the story. So my best friend of seven years and roommate announced she was moving out. And when I asked why, she gave one reason. And I asked for an example. And she gave one from three years earlier, something that had happened one time. And I'd apologized for it. She... Gave another reason. And I asked, when did that start bothering you? She said, well, when it started happening. And I said, well, that was happening when we moved in together four years ago. It became clear through many answers like this that our friendship had just unraveled without my knowledge as she either held on to new stories or uh, held on to old stories or created new stories that simply weren't true. She'd been exiting the friendship for years while I saw her every day without ever noticing because she chose to hide it from me. At the same time, another friend underwent uh, a surgery right after a called off engagement. And I nursed her back to health, going on to going over to put on and take off her socks, lower and raise her into bed because she couldn't use her stomach muscles. And a few weeks later, she went on a spontaneous tirade against me where I felt like nothing she was saying made sense. She is the one person who's reached out since to apologize and admit that she was going through some deep trauma at the time that I was triggering but had nothing to do with me. And I recognized that at the time, but the fact that she didn't and other friends didn't meant the relationship just went out like a flame. At the same time, I mean, I literally think this was all in the same week, the pastors at my church asked me to stop opening my home for a small group that uh, included these women that met there. Uh, They said it was so I could, quote, focus on my healing. Even though present at that conversation were other members of the small group who said there wasn't really any pressure on my hosting and the group was a safe space in my healing. So again, just another moment that didn't really make sense. But. The group moved with the friend who'd tiraded against me. So I decided to give her some space. It felt like a good time. I distracted myself. I visited visited another church for a while with a guy I was dating. And I looked up one morning and realized it had been months and I hadn't heard from any of my former best friends or the pastors supposedly concerned with my healing. I'd been released from the hospital like three months earlier for suicidal ideation And no one was concerned that they hadn't seen me since. Now, I share that not to make a case for my side. These were wonderful people, a wonderful church. I don't blame them. I forgive them. And I'm not defensive about what happened. I share those stories in broad strokes because I hope you can get a glimpse that when I was at my lowest, I was suddenly all alone and it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And... The whole thing, dark moments four through five, the heartbreak, suicidal ideation, loss of my friends and my church, was all collectively the best thing that ever happened to me. If you struggle with depression, anxiety, heartbreak, loss, friendship, if you're a fellow entrepreneur or, heck, human who's ever felt so exhausted, overwhelmed, lost, hopeless underwater that you don't know if you could keep going, I deeply empathize. There is hope. There are new stories waiting for you. And I believe I could help. (laughs) My hands feel cold, honestly, just from recounting those stories, but especially those last two, but those dark moments gave me the wisdom and life experience that gave me the life I love today. The struggle with my beauty made me so aware of the difference when I did grow in my confidence through clothing that it made me a deeply empathetic and passionate stylist who runs a whole company on exploring what makes women feel beautiful. For you, maybe your hard spots are what make you or will make you more tender towards other human beings. Or maybe they're one of your true life callings. The smallness over career and money made me so aware of the difference when I did feel empowered having built a successful business and am therefore so passionate about helping other entrepreneurs discover and do the same. Having no money made me so grateful for and wise with money that I was able to grow my company where a lot of my colleagues got caught up in spending and status. So maybe your current limitations will give you the Gratitude to succeed with humility and grace or other wonderful adjectives that make your life experience better. And the deep pain of singleness, the depression, heartbreak, losing my friends and my church, it led me to eventually find a new church home, uh, go on a journey of self-discovery to heal my anxiety, into lots of therapy go deeper in my faith, be committed to finding a new community at that church so that I showed up on the first Sunday of a new location, super scared because I didn't know anybody, and met the man who became my husband and all four girls who became my bridesmaids and was emotionally healthy enough that I didn't scare any of them away. So, Maybe there's growth in your waiting that will make your dream even better. You'll have an even better marriage, be a better parent or friend. Today, for now, I am living a happily ever after. I would not have the business, business partners, amazing husband, dear friends, any of the things I treasure, any of these gifts, if I hadn't hit some rock bottoms that made absolutely no sense at the time and royally sucked. But my story gives me confidence that there's purpose in our pain. There's purpose in our waiting. There's purpose in closed doors. And I don't say that to you as though I've arrived. I believe this for all of us, meaning me, who could have a miscarriage or experience a death near to me in the coming years. My friend Allie taught me this. What if equals fear and even if equals faith? What if equals fear, even if equals faith. So the last handful of years for me have been evidence that God writes a beautiful story for each and every one of us. It is often just a much longer story than we want it to be, a story that requires bucket loads of patience. But once we see the ending of each chapter, we realize it was the perfect timing for us, that even if it doesn't look what we like what we expected, it will be better. That our hearts will shift to desire something else. We won't be disappointed by what we get. We'll be delighted by what we're gifted. We'll grow in the process and we'll find that it does get better. I hope you feel you're welcome here in my virtual living room. In the next three episodes, I'm going to share about anxiety, confidence, how I get more done in a day without feeling exhausted, followed by episodes on finding deeper friendships, being single, wedding planning, marriage, running a business, style, and more, starting in the next episode on anxiety for everyone, clinical, high-functioning, and everyday. It's live right now, so go keep listening. And if you have a question or a topic that you would love to hear, please let me know. Go to hillaryrushford.com slash pod VIP. That's my name, hillaryrushford.com slash pod as in podcast, VIP as in you. You can hit record right there and send me a voice memo uh, asking a question or discussing uh, a topic that you'd like me to dive into. Or you can email me a voice memo or send your questions to hello at rushford.com or just hit the contact button on my Instagram profile. If you got something out of today's podcast, the quickest way you could say thank you is hit the subscribe button and download any episodes available thus far. Those downloads help this podcast pop up for more new friends wandering around podcast land. And if you feel this chat would bless someone else struggling with just one of the things I struggled with or shared today, giving this podcast a review or sharing on your social media is the most powerful way you can bless strangers and friends by encouraging someone else to listen. So I'll see you inside episode two with Grace and Gumption. And you're welcome in advance. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this before you go, love. P.S. At the end of every episode, I want to share something I'm loving lately, like that random text or DM you send a girlfriend when you see something cool on Instagram or an article. This is that. So, lately, when I'm feeling stuck, blah, kind of tired or antsy in the middle of my day, I move. Super simple, super quick, I move. So, for years, When the weather is nice, that's been a quick walk around the block. I put on my headphones and I pretend that I'm talking to someone because I think best when I'm moving and when I'm talking out loud. So I'll say like, hey lady, so I feel good about what I've gotten done so far today. I finished the first draft of the course outline and I just can't figure out if I want to go back in and go deeper right now because it's already three. So I'm afraid... If I don't finish today, am I going to feel demotivated because I like hate starting in the middle of things in the morning? So I'm wondering if maybe, yeah, I just talk to myself like a weirdo, but you have your headphones in, so it looks like you're talking to somebody in who actually exists um, because I think best while I'm moving. And I got a standing desk. It's my second thing, one that sits on top of your real desk and then you can raise or lower it because sometimes I just got to move. My whole team is virtual. We do Video calls uh, t- often for strategy or brainstorming meetings and Sometimes I just need to stand, like mid-meeting. I just need to sway, have one leg up on my desk, be stretching. Uh, My alternative at the apartment is a stack of books on top of the fireplace that I've made to just the right height to stand with my laptop when I get uh, antsy antsy in the middle of a call at home. Finally, my most recent one is when the weather's bad and I'm feeling like I'm just hitting an energy wall, I will put on a pump-up song and do, quote, yoga for a few minutes. And I use quotes because I don't mean anything formal. I don't do yoga so I don't have like a routine or a practice. I just down dog, up dog, stretch, child's pose, whatever. I just move. Uh, Or I pretend I'm Taylor Swift on stage belting it out. Or I listen to some French jazz song and imagine that I'm wandering around Paris like I'm in a music video. Imperfect, easy, quick is the name of the game from a girl who struggles with working out. So would hate anyone who told her that their new thing is why don't you just try moving truly it can be so quick and easy and imperfect just move shake it off and i find we feel better and can get back to having a fabulous afternoon so what do you think let me know if you try one of these or do something else for that mid-afternoon slump come tell me over in the instagram comments of my most recent post whatever it is at hillary rushford Till next Wednesday.